Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fun with Fungus, the only audio podcast that teaches you how to cook with mushrooms. I'm your host, Anthony. You don't even like mushrooms. I don't care. I'm Casey. I had a good intro, and, and it got ruined. I am consumed with regret. <laughs> this is the second week in a row you guys have let me do the introduction. I wonder uh, how many there will be total. I'm Dylan, and I failed to put a stop to this. Yeah, this is, this is really on you. In any event, welcome everyone to this, our first three-quarters live episode of Semi-Automagic Inc. As um, Rowan and P.F. Chang join me here in the arid desert I call my home. And Dylan Skypes in from his hover layer orbiting the Earth. That's me! That's you! You're the cuddliest villain ever. <laughs> so, no, uh, we that's are back. Jasper. That's, that's true. Jasper is evil, but he's a cat, so it's expected. It's his cultural heritage. <laughs> Protected by federal law. Yep. Alright, so, last time we had what I think we could all agree was a damn fine episode. Oh. And, uh, hopefully we can keep that tradition going. Last time we went to Maison Preston. Uh, infiltrated the Milwaukee Heights estates. There was some skullduggery with a class ring, which was pretty nice. Um, we signed with some apes, which was nice. Yeah. And then we went out to Little Teddy's Playhouse, which yeah. sounds, which sounds, yeah, more and more like a like a murder movie than anything. Yep. It's like it's like a nightmare version of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Exactly. And some stuff went down. Real quick, that I think we are actually still waiting on the resolution for. So rather than explaining it, why don't we jump in and see how it concludes? All right. Uh, Fiona and Rowan, as you both stand there, this cringing young man in a circle, eyes locked with the tall and noble sorcerer who has accompanied you on this essentially kidnapping mission. Um... You notice an unnatural stillness come to the both of them as if perhaps their very heartbeats have ceased, as if they are now figures of wax, perhaps statues, or simply images that are not resonating in the same time frame that you are. Solomon, for your part, the outside world appears to do much the same thing. Dust motes freeze in the air, a breeze from Theodore Preston's extremely expensive, inefficient, and wasteful, but pretty bitchin' AC system, um, <laughs> gently brushes your face and then stops. And that's pretty weird, actually. If you were to move your hair, your, your, your herd, move your head, you could actually, uh, feel the motionless breeze hanging in the air like cool cotton. But, your eyes gaze into those of Theodore Preston, and an invisible crystalline link begins to form between you. And suddenly, you seem to be looking at yourself from his point of view. And then, without any input on your part, time begins to move backwards. 
you experience the conversation that the four of you just have. You experience having your hand pretty much pulped by an exploding beer bottle. Um, and it begins to rewind faster and faster until you are no longer getting a second-by-second rewind replay, but just big swaths. And eventually it all begins to blur together into a stream of images and thoughts and feelings and memories and vague impressions. But... Some do float to the surface, large and shiny and undeniable. You see many images of yourself with your father trying to enjoy the things that he enjoys, trying to be the person that he wants you to be, trying to be Theodore Preston's heir proper, trying with all your heart and never quite succeeding. The blazer and the hunting boot and the fishing rod and yard arm of the yacht never quite fitting on your shoulders or in your hand, and a constant feeling of just barely disappointing him. And then there's one memory, a bit shinier than the others, but shining with a dark and sweet light, wherein you found a new figure to impress a new figure who was all too proud of you and all too willing to help you become everything that he knew you possibly could. There's a brief montage of pure emotion after that. Nothing so coherent as a memory or a vision after that. Uh, feelings of acceptance, of ecstasy, and of pure power as... Theodore Preston's life entered the golden age of pleasure and success in which he had spent the past few months. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much what you see. Okay. So the, the soul gaze ends. Yes. The world snaps back into motion around you as if someone has hit play on the laser disc player of your life because Solomon was an early adopter of the new technology (laughs) and by God, when he makes a choice, he sticks with it. (laughs) Um, Fiona and Rowan, you see the uh, two men, one inside the circle, one without uh, suddenly snap back into motion as if uh, uh, no longer frozen. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, good. They're alive-ish. So what'd you see? Preston is holding his bloodied hand to his bloodied head. Ew, he's getting his blood all over his blood. Ew. Gross. Gonna get AIDS. Um, I ignore Rowan's question, and I, I just look at Theodore. And I say, um, Theodore, you need to take that ring off. Uh, he smirks at you with the inborn arrogance of someone who truly believes he is speaking to his inferior. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, Mister, I don't know who you are, but if you knew the first thing about me, you would know that I am never taking this off so long as I live. Well, that can be arranged. I can think of a better way. I could cut your damn finger off. Um, I I hold out a hand to my my fellow party members and I say, settle down. And I turn back to Theodore and I say, you do realize what it's making you, right? 
It's making me a success. It's making me someone who can stand tall in his own right and not in the shadow of his father and his father's father and every damn Preston down the line. It's making me someone who can choose his own path and has the power to blaze it. No. Also make not have a hand anymore. It's making you a manipulative, powerless child, just like your father and his father before him. You're not rising above them, you're becoming them. He clearly had not considered that. And while your argument was a serious blow to his newfound self-confidence, it, it is by no means crippled. Mm-hmm. So he sort of brushes you off the shot, sure, confident that he knows what he's talking about and you do not. All I know is that you are so scared of me that you had to come here into my home, three people strong, and gang up on me just to see what I was up to. Oh, baby. Can I shoot him, please? No. Um, I... Where has my staff been this whole time? <laughs> That's really a question for you to answer, I think. Uh, I mean, or, ordinarily, I'd be fine with you guys having, like, equipment hammer space where your stuff just goes when you're not using it. I'm not going to make you keep an inventory list, but... Yeah, it, it doesn't... Mm. Like, did you bring it? You brought it, right? Yes, absolutely. Did you, did, you, did you check it with the butler when he took your coat? <laughs> no, but I think that was something that was brought up, wasn't it? Would you like to? I, nobody has mentioned it in an episode and a half, so I imagine it's. Well, just I mean, there. let's let's look at the bare bones of this. I don't think a, a a college professor who was trying to recruit a new young hopeful would bring along a, a large hand carved staff. Right. Right. Um. Okay. So I uh, just continue staring daggers at um, at Theodore, and sure. I raise. And he, he continues to nurse his bleeding head with his bleeding hand. Yeah. I raise. Licking, licking beer blood. I raise one open palm, uh, my right open palm, and in the center, uh, a, a fire starts, just floating above the palm. And sure. I look at Theodore and I say, I am a warden of the White Council. We do not tolerate dark magic. <laughs> and I am a ward of the throne of mists and you have no idea what dark magic really is Theodore consider your position here you are behind a closed circle at my mercy you have a choice to make this is either the end of you or the beginning I would advise you to consider your own position, trapping me against my will on my own property, which, regardless of the outcome of this particular situation, you will have to escape at some point. Now, will it be as people who conducted some sort of meeting with me, or will it be as kidnappers or murderers? That's your choice to make, friendo. Bruh. Friendo, bruh. Can I really... You need to shut up or I'm going to shoot your fucking mouth off. No one is coming to help you, Theodore. He shrugs. No one's coming to help you either. We don't need help. Uh, at, at his comment, I just smile and shake my head once and say, Well, that's just not true. 
he uh he rears back just a little bit and kind of quirks an eyebrow at you. Oh, so you do take me that seriously. I see. Well, then you should know you're not just going to be able to talk me out of this. You should know that I cannot give up what I have been promised. And what is it that you have been promised? The world. I was drowning. I was drowning in my father's shadow. I was drowning in that stupid school he insisted on sending me to. I was losing everything that made me myself. And then he came along and he offered me a way out and I took it and I am never looking back. Do you understand? I don't even know who you people are, but you need to understand that no matter what happens today, there is no going back. Uh, I look at Fiona and I say, what was that you said? About what? The name. Just before he flipped out. Oh, the name. It's the runes he's been drawing all over the damn place. I look at the runes. For our forgetful listeners, the runes read Alto Zephyr. <laughs> Thank and you. also the forgetful Fiona. Thank you, Cornflower. <laughs> She's, she, she came along as, as party secretary Yeah, back at Theodore and I say Alto Zephyr can't help you huh. No, no, I suppose he can't But do you know what else I learned about manipulating minds, about manipulating memories? What's that? I learned how to take them away And nothing that you or your people could ever do to me, no place you could put me would be anything close to what he will put me through if he finds out I have been captured. So good luck with what you've got to do, but I am going to stay who I am and there's nothing you can do about it. Are you really who you are though? Or are you what he wants you to be? I am who I've made myself. I took his choice, I took his opportunity, and I have made myself into a new man. Lady. Sounds like you're still depending on a daddy. Sounds like whatever I am, you three need me. We don't need you, we want you out. I start <laughs> um, circling the circle, mm-hmm. um, building energy and focusing it at the ring to try to expand it and break it. Okay. Um, uh, how is Solomon trying to do that? Let's, let's, let's make it a, actually, you know what, since, since you created this circle together, mm-hmm. I will feel that you have a certain level of magical juris- jurisdiction over it. So you're trying to break the actual wooden circle itself? No, 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 not the, not the circle, the ring on his finger. Oh, the ring on his finger. Okay. Um, then I am going to have to rule, and I would have ruled this exact same way if Tony had tried to shoot him or whatever, yep. that any uh, any attempt, physical, metaphysical, or otherwise, to breach the circle um, or affect anything inside it will instantly break it. Uh... He is either trapped or he is not. He can't interact with you. You can't interact with him. Okay. Um... Well, then, in that case, I'm going to just start building energy. Okay. I, I go up to the circle. Sup, bro? You, you, uh, you play ultimate? Are you kidding me? No, I do not. Ah, well, yeah, it's not for everybody. Not everybody can handle it. Take it from me as someone who has spent his entire life trying to pretend he's someone that he isn't. It's 
not that good. Yeah, I know. That's why I stopped. That's why I started being someone I like, someone people respect, someone who gets to make his own choices. You think you're the first kid who has this problem? Wealthy daddy, wealthy daddy who wants to, who wants you to take over the business. No, I never tell you something. Let me tell you something. This guy's rude. You shut your face. Well, so are you, you little shit. He is abashed. <laughs> oh, so your daddy owns a city. Big deal. I'm. I have a mother who has been grooming me to take over her position since birth. Not ruling over a city, not ruling over a state, not ruling over a country, but an entire civilization, an entire world. You think you're the first one who wants to find power somewhere else? That doesn't work that way. All you're going to do is end up in a position far worse off than you had been had you just not played around with this. He shakes his head. You've got so much more on your shoulders and you don't understand why I did what I had to do. It's not about power. Power is a means to the only thing I've ever wanted. Freedom. In six months, I'll be out of here. You think you're free under the thumb of a demon that you made a pact with. He he laughs uproariously. Oh my god, stop. Demon. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, he's certainly no angel. He could be. He is I've the- met some pretty nasty angels. <laughs> he is not the shadow or the light. He is the source of them both. And with his help, I am free. And nothing... Uh, you, you're you going to have to let me out of this circle eventually. Or no, I can we really don't have to. We can just leave you here. Well, if you've got people coming, how's it going to look when they get here and you've got a dead rich boy in a circle? Well, let's I don't see. really care. Let's see. The reason I am here is because uh, I found a bounty on a board with your head on it. Oh, really? Yes. So I think they'd be very, very happy to see this little rich boy dead because it means they don't have to go through the process of actually uh, trying to execute and me? I just don't care. I came because I was bored. <laughs> he, he looks at you. Respect. Uh, no, in, don't. In all no. actuality, the only person who actually cares about bringing you out of here alive is the guy that has you in the circle. At that, he, he looks to Solomon, and it looks like it's all on you, bruh. Now you get to know the terrible freedom. What happens now is up to you. Are you ready for it? What happens next is very much up to you, young man. I don't see that. I'm in the circle. The wardens of the White Council have no problem executing dangerous criminals. Uh Uh-huh. The only reason you're alive is because I believe in a better world. Uh Uh-huh. So they're going to execute me. So what are my choices here? What incentive do I have to do anything? You can live. You can find that freedom that you're after. How? By becoming a part of the White Council. By forsaking your past as a warlock. By willingly entering the Doom of Damocles. And by 
knowing full well, under punishment of death, if you ever stray from the path, you will be dealt with. <laughs> so move, move from living in my father's metaphorical shadow to having a demon with a sword in my literal shadow. <laughs> that's that's rich, bro. That's rich. You're one talking about freedom. The crimes you've committed, the crimes that I've witnessed, the crimes that I see evidence of everywhere on this estate are enough for me to execute you here and now. I'm giving you one last chance. <laughs> well, since you've given me a chance... Can I give you a message to pass on? What is it? When you see Alto Zephyr, and you will see Alto Zephyr, tell him I said thanks for the ride. And he lifts his ring hand, presses it to his forehead, and mutters a quick series of commands. Uh, within the circle, there is a detonation of magical power that rails against the inner confines of the circle. And because it is sourced from you, naturally, Solomon, you, mm -hmm. you feel the walls of the circle attempting to burst. Uh, I bring to bear the energy that I've been building to contain it. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, that's the, your, your foresight is incredible. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I won't even make you roll for that. That's amazing. Cool. Um, yes, uh, through all your combined strength of will, all of you, Solomon, um, you managed to keep the circle intact and the energies uh, bound and contained within. And when the metaphorical, metaphysical uh, dust settles, you see the still form of Theodore Preston VI lying on the floor inside the circle, eyes staring at the ceiling, eyes plainly seeing nothing. All right, then. Well, that was fun. I break the circle, and I go and close his eyes. Okay. Uh, he's still very much alive, for the record. Oh, what? I thought he was dead. No, yeah, no, that, no, no, no. That Sorry. made it sound like he was totally just oh, gone. Damn. Damn my narrative ability. I was going to chop his hand off. No, no, no. Take, he's, uh, and take his body to whoever. That escalated quickly. <laughs> uh, no, he's still very much alive and the lights are on, but ain't nobody home. Okay. Um, then in that case, uh, I turn to my companions and I say, um, one of you await the arrival of a white council member. They're on their way. Bring them here when they arrive. I... I'll stay and keep an eye on the kid and his mom. Someone's going to need to take care of her, too. I'll, I'll go out. Okay. Um, Rowan, you exit um, Teddy's Playhouse of Nightmares. Oh, okay, so and here's a question. Sure. Uh, White Council doesn't really like me, correct? With the exception of uh, Solomon. Uh, if I recall correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that's uh, very true because you are a known wizard killer, and they haven't put the pieces together that you only kill bad guys. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't only kill bad guys. That you mostly kill bad guys. I kill sorcerers. <laughs> I mean, I kill warlocks. That you sometimes kill bad guys. That you killed a bad guy once. <laughs> I killed a bad guy. Maybe. I, I kill most of the people I deal... I, I have no qualms with killing a wizard. Gold star if, for qualm. If... if the bounty is high enough, but for Fair the enough. record, my reputation has been has been forged in 
slaying warlock. Exactly. So wizard killer. I mean, it's on your character sheet. So yeah, yeah like, wizard. I just want to know, like, if I'm gonna. Be- if the guy that's coming up to me is going to be like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Right. Um, that's probably a little warmer than you'd be apt to get. I don't know that they would be inherently hostile, especially if you presented a peaceable front. Right. Also, not everybody knows what you look like, dude. Yeah. I guess. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you exit Little Teddy's Treehouse of Horrors, and um, as soon as you do the feeling of... Uh, reality getting uh, gritty and slushy and weird hits you again. Uh, Apparently there had been some field in the house protecting you from its effects. And as you wade through it, it's like uh, wet sand up to your knees, but for your soul. Mm -hmm. And as you make your way away from the house, um, you begin to see things. Little hazy patches in the air where it looks almost like you're viewing someplace else. Right. You see stars that don't make any sense and you see uh, flowers as tall as trees. Mm-hmm. And uh, where, where are you going, actually? Front door, I'm assuming. Going back through the house. Going back through the house? Door. Okay. Um, you go back through the house. The, uh, the apes appear at rest and much, much eased. Um, still not super duper happy as apes in an apiary, but, um, nowhere near as upset as they were. Um, you have to sneak past the kitchen where both Boston and, uh, and Ramona Preston are in the midst of preparing what smells like a sumptuous roast. Mm -hmm. So how do you do this? I don't, I don't work. I don't, like, pretend that I'm sneaking past them. I walk oh. through. If they notice me, they notice me. If okay. they don't notice me, they don't notice me. Fair enough. Yeah, the kitchen's off to the side, and you just kind of walk by, and they're they're doing their own thing, so no, they don't notice right. you. Uh, wait, uh, is, has there been a kind of noticeable change uh, with Ramona? Uh, uh, she, go ahead. Since her son has not killed himself, but vegetabilized himself. Wiped himself, yeah. Um, She is cradling her head as she prepares the roast, but if you stop to observe her for a moment, uh, you will see that she no longer has the the ticks. Yeah. So she doesn't seem like super okay, but no longer. I ask her, how are you, how are you, uh, how are you feeling, Miss Preston? Oh, 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 goodness dear, hello. Did you have fun out with Teddy in his playhouse? Oh yeah, we had a, a great time. I had some beer. Oh, I spelt it a little, but uh, oh, don't you worry about that. We'll have the cleaning folks take care of that mess. That won't be a problem at all. Is there anything Teddy needs out there? Uh, no, I think he's good right now. He's sleeping. Oh, very good. All right. Well, it was lovely to have you, and we hope to see you again. Can I can I offer you some some roast or a beverage for the road? Uh, not right now, thank you. Oh, fair enough. Well, it was lovely to meet you, uh, Boston. See the young man to the dower. And Boston, uh, Boston hitches up his suspenders and, uh, struggles to remember what accent he had. <laughs> Ramona changed her accent, so. Yeah, that's because she's not being mind-controlled anymore, dude. Oh. What if he hated that accent? What if he always hated that Atlantic upper-class accent that was indicative of everything his family was trying to impose upon him? It's an accent that feels, um, plays on Park Avenue and, and, uh, and Boston very briefly sounded like a horrifying chimney sweep and then uh, that changed very quickly. (laughs) 
Okay. He tried to assault us for our, our coats. He did not. <laughs> if, I, if I remember right, his exact phrasing was, give me them coats. <laughs> yes. That was it. Um, anyway, Boston hitches up his suspenders and, uh, and says, right this way, sir. And he, uh, and he, and he leads you out. And he says, allow me just a moment while I fetch you your coat. So he, uh, and my coat is on me. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Can't rightly expect a tip for you doing my job, sir. Not necessary. Not necessary. So he uh, leads you to the front door. He says, thank you for visiting Preston Estates. We hope you enjoyed your stay. Okay, uh, so I'm outside and I'm waiting, correct? Yes. I want to text uh, Xavier Tingle for the fifth. Fantastic. Uh, uh, Ask him if he has any information on what's the name? Alto Zephyr. Malto Dextrin. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. Glucosamine, I think, was the name. Malto Dextrin is a tapioca derivative there we used go. in molecular gastronomy to turn fats into powders. Um, tachyo- tapioca derivative is uh, my new food themed math rock band. <laughs> really? It's my um, favorite um, uh, hippie commune near Portland. There you go. Um, okay, so you uh, you take out your phone and you text him uh, inquiring about Alto Zephyr. Alto Zephyr. Which, uh, for the record, when Fiona read it, looked as though it was one word. Okay. Okay. So um, you text him, and what's he in your phone as? That guy. Just just that guy? No, the museum guy. Museum guy, fair enough. Okay, and uh, Alto across Zephyr the city. Zephyr sounds like uh, Wind Fay who plays a saxophone. I just want to throw that out there. Absolutely. Like, I kind of, I'm kind of curious to see what he is under my phone. What, what my name is under his phone. Sorry. Oh, oh, that's okay. Um, that that'll be revealed later. But yeah, half a city away, um, his his phone chirps, and in the middle of uh, giving a lecture on the Marie Celeste, he opens it up, and uh, and his his ringtone is actually a little tiny jingle he had uh, custom made. He booked some time in a recording studio, <laughs> and. Uh, there's there's a lot to it, but the refrain is um, Rowan and Xavier sitting in a tree. K i s s i s s i p p i. And uh, he reads the text delightedly, and uh, instantly gets back to you saying um, through, of course, interpretive dance emojis. That he will uh, research that name directly, and also that he has checked through the entire museum, and it turns out it was a ring that was missing. Oh. Oh. Well, that's, uh, tell him I know where the ring is. Have you guys, uh... (laughs) What's that, Dylan? Have you guys seen Love Actually? Yes. No. Because every time we talk about Xavier Tangleforth, I just see Bill Nighy's character from that movie. That's completely fair. Um, I always pictured him as uh, Rust Hamblin in Twin Peaks, but I think he might have to be Bill Nighy now. Okay. Yeah. I just saw that for the first time, actually. That's a it's, really good movie. It's I, real good. I picture him as Rick Moranis, which is why whenever he does like museum tours, he speaks in Rick Moranis' voice. Yeah. Sure. Well, no, he's a man of a thousand accents, so who knows? That could have just been that night. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, all that happens. And so you told him you found the ring. 
I text him back that I know where the ring is. Uh, I may not be able to get it to him immediately, but uh, that's we know where it is. Okay, he texts back T H X T T F N X O X O O M G W T F B B Q. You you want to go to a what the fuck barbecue with me? Who wouldn't? <laughs> Alright, uh, cut back to those goons in the room with the guy who's not in his mind. I am yep. trying my damnness to get that ring off of him. Oh, it is like welded to his finger. Not like, like metaphysically or anything. Just like it's this. not, it's not bound to him or anything. It's just, it seems to be like almost melted onto his finger. I'd make to cut his finger off. Gross. Holy. Um, what would Fiona have on her person with which to accomplish such a task? Um, her razor-sharp wit. Sorry, that's not going to do it. <laughs> that was a good one, though. I, Thank you. You're in a house. I'm sure there's a knife somewhere. No, no, no. Knives are for people who have to make their own sandwiches, not for people who have servants. We could have, like, he's a super also, fancy pocket also, knife. He's also a crazy... Warlock that probably does blood things. Well, and more than that, he's a rich white dude. He probably has a katana somewhere. So I, I see Fiona trying to find something sharp to cut this man's finger off. <laughs> sure, you know, you know the look on her face. It's a very specific look. I say, Fiona, stop. That ring is a powerful magical artifact of untold, horrible awfulness. We don't touch it. This is bad news. Yeah, it's still exuding an awful aura, by the way. Does it smell? Like, spiritually. What's it smell like? Um, bad lemons. Ew. And wheat. And, oh, uh... wheat? No, yeah, then I... And, like, I burning that. leaves. I went gluten-free, like, three weeks ago, oh, God. so I can't... Of course yeah, you did. If it's, if it's wheat, then I, this I give up. poor misunderstood plant protein. Uh, all, I, fa- all fairies have celiac disease. <laughs> I don't. What's up, Dylan? I gesture to the, the body and I say, just keep an eye on him. And then I go start looking around the workshop. Okay, so out to the garage? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okie dokes. Um... The garage is not connected to... The, I mean, it is connected to the house, but there's no, like, door out to it. You have to go outside to get to the garage. Okay. And uh, when you do so, you experience much the same thing Rowan did, that mm-hmm. the world around you is just... That, like, reality seems really threadbare and uh, and thin and weird and patchy. Right. And do and, the... But, do the weird stars and all these things... Is that reminiscent of the Fae, or is this totally something weird? Um, would Solomon's experience with the Fae be such that he could recognize a Fae realm if he saw it patchily through the haze of his own reality? Uh, I would imagine so. Okay, then, um, it's definitely got a Fae cast to it. It's not any recognizable part of a or the Fae realm. Okay. Well, that's a question. Do, Do I recognize any part of it either? Um, that would have been a question to ask when you were looking at it, champ. (laughs) Um, so you get to the garage you open it up um yeah yeah uh yeah rowan it did it it seemed pretty pretty familiar (laughs) it seemed familiar but different as if uh you were watching a favorite childhood movie as an adult and getting a completely different impression of it like when i saw page master for the second time there you go or as it's known by most people the mistake time 
<laughs> so Solomon that movie is a treasured classic. No one's arguing that. As long as you're in 1994, <laughs> and um, a super big fan of Whoopi Goldberg. There you and go, Macaulay Culkin. Okay, that's called being a person with a heart. So Solomon approaches the garage, and it's one of the uh, old-fashioned kind of doors that you have to lift from the bottom, and it just swings up. Mm-hmm. And as he does so, the stench of unreality uh, just intensifies, and you enter the garage workshop to see that all of the walls are covered in arcane sigilia and uh, and rune work. And there is one diagram in particular that is very prominent not only in its size, but looks like it's been gone over a number of times to bolden and strengthen the lines. And it's got heavy annotations in a uh, in a runic language very similar to the one that we saw on the table. And it's uh, just above a workbench that has a an object shimmering on it. And if, if Solomon were so inclined, it would be real easy to think of this as looking like kind of an altar. Okay. Um, I start trying to decipher the sigildry. I'm not going to say that you can just like straight up read it. Right. But, uh, you do recognize, and I actually have a drawing of it here that I'm going to show the guys in a minute and I'll post it to our, uh, to our Twitter and our Facebook so the people can see if they want to. I'll send you a picture as well. So, 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 so Shannon can see it. So Shannon can see it, essentially. Yeah. It is a, um, let's see here. Oh, this is a, for, for those not watching this podcast, it is a very, very big piece of paper. Yeah, it sounded like there was unfolding happening over there. Well, unrolling. Ah. Yeah, I can describe it. It it kind of looks. It's a triforce. Like an upside down triforce in the middle of it. I think that's a octagon. Well, okay. So take an inverted triforce. So an upside down triforce, and on each of the points there is a circle, and from each of the inner points, so where the the inner hollow triangle of the triforce, from each of the inner points there issues a large spiral. And those spirals and corner nodes connect, and I'll post a picture and it'll make more sense. But um, there are annotations just absolutely all over the place. And at the very top spiral um, is a smattering of runes. (laughs) And at the bottom of this smattering of runes, in a completely different and unfamiliar hand, uh, is written, there's a little arrow pointing to it, and it says, the coolest shah. God damn it. It's actually spelled that way. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, am I to surmise that this is the symbol for Alto Zephyr? Um, your knowledge of uh, sigildry and runes and such like <laughs> leads you to believe that this is not like a symbol, a representative symbol unto itself, mm. but rather an array, a um, a framework, a uh, a structure for right. a larger magical working. I go to inspect the object on the altar workbench. Um, the object on the workbench altar is frankly difficult to look at. It is difficult to approach. It 
makes you feel as though your soul is standing in a very high, hot, caustic wind filled with sand that hates you. Ooh. And it's it's very, very clear that this object is the source of the unreality you've been experiencing. You get close enough to look at it. Um, it is, in fact, a tiny metal um, spear that has a small crown inscribed on the spearhead. Like something that could easily be worn as like a like a like a brooch or a or a badge, that kind of thing. Right. Um from an inside coat pocket I take sure. a small like a handkerchief, but a but it's like um it's like a, a velour a, a really of heavy course. cloth. Of course. Uh and I wrap it around this object. It is exceedingly difficult to do so, mm-hmm. but you uh, you manage it because you're a boss. Okay. And it it feels to vibrate in your hand when you wrap it in the cloth, even though you know that on a physical level it's it's not moving at all. Right. Yeah, it um, is it is actively rebelling against you holding it on a spiritual level. Okay. I'm going to take my coat off stick the the object into the inside coat pocket mm-hmm. and then just sort of drape the coat over one arm fair enough um as you remove it from the altar the larger array on the wall behind uh appears to not dim because it wasn't lit up mm-hmm. but it appears to take on a flatness that it did not possess before as if now it's it's just doodles on a wall Okay. And the, uh, and reality immediately begins to solidify around you. Okay. And now all space is completely solid and you die. Oh no. That's, that's, that's not, that's not true. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I take this, this object hidden in the coat, um, and I go back to the room with Fiona. Okay. Fiona, what are you up to while, uh, while Solomon's out, uh, skull-dugging around? Um, I have found something sharp, sure. but instead of chopping the guy's finger off, I'm crossing out any, um, anything that's been carved. Sure. And negating the effect. Sure. Okay. Um, where the, uh... The garage appeared to be his workshop where he figured out how sigildry and runes and all such worked. Um, those those did appear to be mostly just doodles on his table, so nothing too dangerous, nothing that you really need to fear activating or anything like that. But you uh, you go ahead and do that. You cross out all the runes and sigildry that you find, and you feel accomplished. I do that. Uh, Theodore's mindless but living body snores in the background. And then a Solomon appears. Yay! So what are we going to do with this kid? Well, that's for the White Council to decide. Are they going to be able to fix him? Probably not. Well, sucks for him. It's a real shame. But he is a thrall of an entity from somewhere outside this realm. And he's been invading people's minds. It's... It's a tough position, but there's not much left to do for him. Did you recognize that name at all? M- Maltodextrin? <coughs> not at all. Not. At a guess, it's probably a demon of some kind. 
seems kind of strong for this <coughs> demon. It would do you well to forget the name. That's not going to happen. Well, <laughs> I. I mean, I. It's a name you don't remember. I'm. I'm pointing at the vegetable kid. That's not something you forget. At the very least, don't try to invoke it. Are you kidding? Why would I be stupid enough to do something like that? I don't want to end up a vegetable like him. Fiona, have you met you? (laughs) You just kind of do things. On that note, (laughs) uh, there is a knock at at the playhouse door. Who is it? Oh, hello, everyone. I've just come to see if you need anything. I brought some snacks. No. Is is Teddy there? He's sleeping. Well, if Te- Teddy's asleep, what are you all still doing there? If he needs a nap, you need to let him have his rest. Uh, it's your turn, Solomon. He hello? wanted us to wait. I I go and open the door and go out to her and close the door behind me. Oh, hello. I forget. Did you you introduced yourself by name, didn't you? Yes. Yes. Oh, hello, Professor Byron. How are you? Have you how did your talk go with Teddy? It's going well. Do you think he'll be a good fit for your scholarly institution? Well, I certainly hope so. All right. Well, is there is there anything that I can get you? <laughs> I, I I brought here some snacks and she uh she has a tray of uh roasted beef sandwiches and various beverages. Um, I think we're fine. Theodore wanted to take what he called a power nap. He said it would just be a few minutes, so. Oh, yes, he's all the time doing that. He's, he, he gets these very, very tired periods. Fair enough. All right, well, uh, I want to excuse myself for my behavior earlier. I was, I was feeling very out of sorts, and, and my head is still a little muzzy, but I do hope I didn't say or do anything uh, terribly rude. Oh, not at all. You've been a wonderful host. Oh, Hostess. very good. I'll take either. Thank you. Well, all right. I'll leave these here, and you let me know if there's anything else I can do for you, okay? Thank you. I take the tray. Yeah, she hands over the tray of nom-noms and yep. uh, and heads back to the house proper. Okay. Um, I watch her leave for a minute just to make sure she's, like, actually going. Sure. And then I go yeah. back inside, and I take a sandwich off the tray, and I'm munching on it. It is so good. Mmm. Yes, and the beverage is Solomon's favorite kind. Ooh. Yeah. Black coffee. There we go. As I'm walking in and I take the bite of this sandwich, I go, ooh, this is delicious. Um, I I bring the tray over to Fiona and I'm like, you should try one of these sandwiches. Tell me tell me, Solomon actually went, ooh, this is delicious. Yes, of course. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> he breaks face for one thing, and that's sandwiches. <laughs> yep. All right. So, hey, there's a tree of sandwiches. Is that meat? And wheat. And wheat. I, I can't eat this. I can't eat anything with a shadow. Uh, That's everything, though. I'll take some of that coffee, though. All right. The coffee's real good. All right. The coffee's really good. <laughs> um, Coffee with no shadow is... uh. My new Hawaii-based hard-boiled crime detective series. <laughs> uh, it takes place on a Kona plantation. Of course. All right. Um, so, Solomon, when the White Council uh, representatives uh, arrive 
And I assume that this is, I don't assume, I mean, obviously this is true. This is something that you arranged with them beforehand. Uh, well, so I sent that missive to the, um, the, the white council. Right. In the, in the last episode, I sent a, a carrier pigeon. Yes, you did. It was adorable. His name was Farnsworth. He got there safely and lived happily to the end of his carrier pigeon days. Hooray! Hooray, Hooray for Farnsworth! Um, was he like a cormorant or something? Yes, yeah. he was a cormorant. Which is, so he was a cormorant who lived to the end of his carrier pigeon days. He went through a lot of changes. Okay. <laughs> um, so what, um, what kind of backup did you request? Uh, the note just said magic doctor. <laughs> oh, that's right! Yeah. <laughs> Delightful. Okay, so, um, Rowan, you are hanging out, out front, uh, Maison Preston. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, a, uh, a battered old, uh, jeep pulls up, just goes putt, 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 and, uh, comes to a, comes to a stop just in front of you. And, um, and an old leathery lady hops out. Um, she is very difficult to age. You, you'd put her certainly probably somewhere above 50, but beyond that, you have no idea. And uh, her her race is also pretty hard to determine because her, her face is very weathered and lined and tanned. And her hair is a, uh, a very lovely silver tied into a, a plated braid behind her back, he said, hoping that plated braid was not redundant. It is. Oh, worst fear confirmed. Nothing left but to kill myself if what Shogun has told me is true. Um, so she she comes up to you. And, uh, and needs an accent. Are you the one who sent for me? I wasn't, but I'm the one who's here to get you. Fantastic. Why don't you take me where I'm needed, then? Uh, I lead her out. Is there, like, a way to get to the back house without going through the house? Yeah, you you can go, um, just around the building yeah, itself. I, the, I take her the long way, because I don't I said by Mrs. Preston. Exactly, you're not going to lead her back in. Oh, hey, back in. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so yeah, you lead her around the house proper. The grounds are lovely. And uh, eventually you reach the uh, Teddy's Playhouse of Nightmares and Horrors. Um, And as you begin to approach, she she slows her roll, uh, looks around a bit, and says, What happened here? Um... I'm not entirely sure. Uh, there's a kid. He has a ring. The ring is bad. Uh, is he is kid all right? <laughs> uh, not after I got through with him. Uh, her eyes... <laughs> her eyes go wide. Uh, she takes uh, a little step back, and you actually uh, feel a small gathering of power. It's not like that I work for you guys, technically speaking. All right. Well, okay. So she, uh, the power okay. very much stays gathered. So she's not, and she does have like, uh, her doctor's bag and she's also got a, uh, uh, sort of utility belt with all kinds of pouches and such on. Um, like, she actually, go ahead. She, this is like, she's old, but this is definitely lady, like, I can sense I don't want to mess with, right? Yeah. You're, you're like getting her power. She's tiny, but very, very, very powerful. Well, see, here's the thing. Um, as Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics once noted, uh, doctors who have, <coughs> uh, 
a thorough understanding of the human body are uh, very equipped to do damage to that body. Yeah. So um, someone who's trained in spiritual medicine is is not someone on whose bad side you want to get. Anyway, um, yeah, and she's she's actually not dressed very much like a doctor. She's got uh, like a leather vest on, and she's wearing khakis. And she looks more she like has, a, she has a New Zealand accent. She so. does. She looks more like an archaeologist than anything else. So uh, you lead her up to the house, and uh, as you lead her in, she stops at the door jam and casts her eyes over the thresholds to the house. Um, a moment passes, and she just shakes her head very sadly and moves in with no trouble at all. Um, so Solomon, Fiona, here comes Rowan with a lady. Hi, lady. Hello. What happened here? Oh my god, move aside. Warden Byron, how are you? Doctor. She, uh, she kneels down and begins to, to take a look at him. She, uh, she sort of peels his eyelid open and, uh, a little, a little tiny, like, pen light beam of light, uh, emits from her finger. Mm-hmm. And she, she signs it and she shines it in there and his pupils react and she's doing all kinds of magical tests and stuff. And, uh, a few minutes pass. What happened to this boy, Warden Byron? He became the thrall of a demon or something, I'm not sure, by the name of Alto Zephyr. She uh, pulls a little pocket notebook out of her vest and begins jotting down in what is either shorthand or some form of writing that you've never seen. Now, you say you're not sure it was a demon. How, how, how likely do you think that is? On a scale like of you, 1 to 10, probably an right. 8. 80% chance it's steaming? All right. She um, reaches down to one of her belt pouches, pulls out a little zipper case, opens it up, and inside uh, are a collection of various religious, like, metals mm-hmm. and charms, like saint metals, that kind of thing. Um, she she chooses one and presses it to the boy's forehead. Now, there's no reaction here. This, If it was a demon, it's not something I've ever heard of. She puts it back in her case. She says, well, magically, medically speaking, Warden Byron, I'd say this boy's cheese has slid off his cracker. The boy's lights are on, but there's nobody home. Fantastic. Uh, if anything can be done for him, it's nothing that's within my range of capability. What happened here? Did you, did you do this to him? <laughs> no. We had him firmly held behind a circle, um... And I crouch down and hold up his his arm with the the hand that has the ring on it. I say he held this ring to his forehead for a second, and then he was like this. Uh, she takes his arm from you and brings it over. Uh, gives the ring uh, a good going over. Um, the ring, for those of you who might be curious, is still difficult to look at and see clearly. Kind of like it's uh, under moving water. Um, but she, she takes his hand and as if appraising the ring, just moves his hand in certain positions, then, um, just does a very firm, just puff of air over the ring Mm -hmm. and, uh, the glamour is dispelled and you can see that the ring is in fact, um, it's a woven ring made of what looks like the stalk of some kind of grass. Well, there's your problem. Weird ring. Yeah. Thank you for that assessment. 
Ah, oh, you're welcome. Um, she pulls a little, uh, a little tiny pouch out of one of her, uh, her belt pouches. Pouches on pouches on pouches, y'all. Mm-hmm. Come on down to the pouch couch where we sit around and put stuff <coughs> in other stuff. Um, she opens it up and you notice that both the inside and outside of the little pouch are covered in, you know, runes and sigilia and, and protective whatnot. Um, she says, would you mind? And holds out the little pouch to you. I, I start trying to remove the ring from his finger. Uh, it instantly crumbles under your fingers. Okay. Warden Byron! <sighs> that wasn't me. You had one totally job! Him. I text, I text Xavier that the ring's gone. <laughs> you, uh, you get a text back with uh, a sad kitty face, and it says, Oh no's totes bums, yo. I, I point at the doctor and I say, Listen, you're the one who dispelled this thing. Well, you're the one who made the boy kill himself. I did not make him kill himself. He did that on his own accord. All right. Well, it's it's for the wardens and the council to decide, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're going to help me get this boy to my jeep or what? Yep. All Um, right. So I start weaving a veil around the body to make it not look like a human corpse. Sure. It looks like a six-foot sub sandwich. No, just something to they already to had it. roast beef sandwiches. Yeah. Sure, um, it looks like uh... no, no. I mean, like a an, an invisibility thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, is that okay? Then Solomon can use his his finesse and whatnot. Yeah, I'll give it to you. No worries. Okay, so yeah, you have a mostly invisible body. If somebody were to like look straight at it, they'd see that something was weird. But mostly, the eye will slide off it. Sure. Um... And then I'd, like, just sort of fireman's carry it over one shoulder. Sure. So you're just walking around like a hunchy weirdo? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and I I sort of gesture to the door and I say, lead on. All right. And she um, she looks at Fiona. She says, what about you? You okay? Is there anybody else who needs my help? I was just uh, called to take care of a corpse, which apparently isn't a corpse, but... You may want to take a look at the residence of the home. Yeah, all right. I'll take a look at him and see what I can do. What kind of damage are we dealing with? Uh, mostly mental. Hmm. All right. Will they be receptive to a stranger coming to the door? Hard to say. Hard to say. Just tell them you're from the university. Ah! <laughs> she, she snaps and, uh, and winks at you. All right, I'll do that. All right, I'll catch you right out of here if you guys want to take my Jeep back to the uh, Westfield cabin. Fantastic. Always a pleasure, Warden Byron. And she she extends her hand. Uh, I shake her hand and I say, thank you for such a timely visit. Oh, well, thank you for the wick. And she uh, she heads off toward the front of the house. And her, her Jeep is, is right there by the little stone path that leads to Teddy's Nightmare House. Yeah. As, we're, um, as we're walking back, I sort of look at Rowan and I say, I don't remember her name. I didn't catch it either. Okay. Jackie, you guys are terrible people. Jackie, you have an approximate knowledge of most things. <laughs> Fiona. All right, I'll I'll invoke that. There you go. Sure. <laughs> um, her her she looks like a uh, a Mrs. Bismarck to you. Um, Doctor Bismarck. I apologize. Sorry. Mrs. Doctor Bismarck. Mrs. Doctor Bismarck. 
Thank you for your service, Mrs. Dr. Bismarck. Uh, she looks and is notably pleased that somebody addressed her properly. <laughs> <laughs> it was my pleasure. Let me know if there's anything else I can do with it. I and she, will. Uh, she takes out a little, a little business card and hands it to you. It's got, uh, it's got Professor Mrs. Dr. Bismarck. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Obviously, her credentials are impeccable. Impeccable. Cannot be pecked by even the <laughs> mightiest cormorant beak. <laughs> Professor Dr. Mrs. Bismarck Esquire. Esquire. Oh, she's a, she's a, she's, she's a multi-talented. A lawyer. Um, yeah. You know, somebody is going to be doing some weird internet search for cormorants, and you're going to see that they came up like six times on this one random podcast for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, alright. So, yeah, you guys head out, and her Jeep is right there, and she heads around to the, uh, to the front of the, the Watsis. And as she goes, you notice her, um, doing a little, a little dance with her fingers. And as she walks away, uh, it looks, more and more like she is not dressed like an archaeologist and more and more uh, like she's dressed as some sort of professional or office administrator or something like that. All right, so what do you guys do? Zoom off to the Westfield Carter. Fantastic. And I think we will see what happens there next time on Semi-Auto Magic Inc. slash Fun with Fungus, or whatever it was Thony said in the deleted intro. No, that's not being deleted. That's no? That's canon? That's canon. Awesome. Anyway. So, uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for keeping the faith. Thank you to our at least three listeners that we know about. We appreciate you all. Um, Thank you, wonderful goons, for playing a game with me and having fun. And um, Thank you for running this ridiculous, amazing game and coming up with characters like Mrs. Dr. Bismarck. Mrs. Dr. Bismarck is just a champ. (laughs) She is all lady all the time, but she is also a doctor, and she will F your chakras up real bad. Um, Yeah. kind of lady. It's my pleasure. Well, honestly, I've got to come up with ridiculous, wonderful things for you guys to play with. So Ooh. that's that's the incentive there. Um, you can find us on the face place as Semi-Auto Magic Inc. That's Facebook um, for all of you under, like, 80. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually probably a thing called the face place that's something entirely different. It's about plastic surgery. Yeah. Or, or about Dean Koontz's novel. Listen, if you search for Semi-Auto Magic Inc., you're going to find us. We're on Twitter, yeah, we're true. on Facebook. Not just Semi-Auto Magic, because yeah. there is some stuff out there. Yeah, there's, but, yeah. there's, there's a few things. Um, so you'll find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at uh, Semi-Auto Magi, which I know is counterintuitive, but so are character <clears throat> limits on usernames. Oh. Are, we, are we putting our episodes on Reddit still? Hey, Dylan, I, are we still putting our episodes on Reddit? Are we, we should. Are we, Cynthia? Uh, okay. I, I will post about uh, the one going up on Monday and then this one when it goes up. and Yeah. I'll, I'll, I will get back to doing that, yes. That's going to be exciting. Okay, well, uh, does anybody else have anything to say? No. Nope. Okay, well, That's we hope good. you enjoyed this, our first three-quarters live episode of Semi-Auto Magic Inc., made technically possible, of course, and ever by Dylan's expertise, without whom we would all be as mud men flailing in our own technological failure. Dude, expertise Speak. is selling me way too high. <laughs> <laughs> What's next week, Dylan? Next week, we talk about the shiitake mushroom. Ooh, oh absolutely. All right. Well, that's it. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening, and keep on... Keeping on. Trangling. Bye, all my buddies! Bye!